0: Good morning. I will prayerfully share with you the sermon prepared by Pastor Beck for this, the last Sunday of 2018. The sermon is titled, More Light by Shining Together. What makes the Christian life Christian? We Christians share with everyone who is morally serious the same effort to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God, as it states in Micah 6.8. So what makes our lives different? What can we discover on this first Sunday after Christmas? To begin, we Christians start from the premise that we need to be forgiven for our utter failure. We measure this failure not against the greater or lesser failures of our fellow men and women, but against the perfection we see in Christ. Virtue, then, is not an achievement of which we Christians can be proud when measured against the sinless Christ. Instead, whatever can be considered good is a gift that comes from the forgiveness and new life of God. In fact, the opposite of sin is not in virtue at all, but faith As someone else once said, for without faith, it is impossible to please him, from Hebrews. This accounts in part for the paradox that those who have been considered the greatest saints have usually been most acutely conscious of their sins. The absolute ethic of Christ, with his demand for total inward and inclusive purity, honesty, and love, forbids the Christian the luxury of self-satisfaction and final achievement. In fact, any sort of moral progress is attributable to God alone. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, says St. Paul, for it is God who works on you. There is a unique factor in the approach of the believing Christian to the good life and the moral decisions in which we are all involved. For that unique Christian factor, there is a unique Christian word. This word cannot be replaced or eliminated from our modern Christian vocabulary. This word is grace. The starting point of the Christian life is not our acceptance of a new law of life introduced by Jesus Christ. Instead, we receive a new status and a new power offered and conferred by him. Grace is the New Testament word used to describe the action of God in Christ, whereby we are accepted by him just as we are with all our vices and imperfections and given a new nature with the impetus to fulfill God's will. As our text for today from Colossians 3 says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This forgiveness is the heart and core of the new Christian life. For at the base of the new Christian life is the prayer of the publican in the parable, God be merciful to me, a sinner. This grace of God for the sake of Christ makes all the difference and gives all the power. God's love for all men put Jesus on the cross to become sin for all us sinners. Think of it. God was in Christ, bringing the sin-sick world back to health in him. He was restoring his lost creation by showing his true nature of forgiving love. This new creation has brought forth the church, God's own people. We are part of his new royal priesthood, that peculiar people who are to show forth his works of light in a dark world. And God gives us the power to do those things that please him. Our text spells out some of them. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. We couple this with the confident statement of St. Paul to the church at Philippi. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This morality of grace is unique in its motive and dynamic. Religion has often worked on morality with the carrot and the stick. Do good so that God will love you. Don't do evil or you'll go to hell. This former approach has added to the burden of the sincere man and woman. It has expanded enormously the areas of bad consciences. It has suggested an infinite number of ways in which we have to strive to justify ourselves before God. Think how our Lord changed the world, changed that when he said, come to me all who labor and are heavy burden and I will give you rest. It was this crushing effect of moral religion he also certainly had in mind. Jesus wanted us to know him as the truth to be free to become what God wants us to become. God wants us to be his happy, joyful, confident children, who know they can rely on his love. The grace that Jesus represented meant that life was no longer to be a burdensome obligation through which we stagger toward heaven. Surely this is what is meant by the peace of God, Christ, which is to rule in our hearts, as our text says. We are to live a spontaneous, joyful response to the mercy and forgiveness of God this motive behind our new Christian life is the new life that each Christian has in God's own son, Jesus Christ. God has given, we no longer strive to win his favor by our goodness. The dynamic power for this new Christian life is not in our ability to observe more and more stringent rules of conduct to obey more and more stifling laws. To the contrary, the power is the communicated strength of the one who has lived for us, died for us, and risen from the dead to be our deliverer and companion on our Christian way. We have been called into his one body, and we are thankful about that. Very simply put, we are not alone in our daily decisions and wider responsibilities. There is a solidarity of the human race in both the achievement of good and the incidence of evil. But the fellowship of Christ means more than this. By the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, we experience the community of the church as the sustaining company of the living and the dead in Christ. Without our fellow believers, we cannot be kept alive in Christ now. We need the mutual conversation and consolation of our Christian brothers and sisters, we are bound together by our Christian love and we know this to be concretely true right where we live out our Christian lives, in the family, the group, the congregation. With our fellow Christians, we know a sharing and an encouragement that makes possible our growth in the Christian life. The most important shared experience of this fellowship we know as worship The Christian learns that this is the necessary expansion of his or her private prayers. Worship with others gives opportunity for an encounter with God that can have decisive effect on our growth in the Christian life. The worship described by Jesus in spirit and in truth is in fact worship that does have a moral effect on our lives. There is neither spirit nor truth in perfunctory ceremonies or elaborate ritual or intellectual exercises or mere togetherness. Few of these have direct moral consequences for the participant. True worship as an encounter with God provides for the inner nourishment and the moral stimulus by which we grow together into what St. Paul calls the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This kind of worship is described in our text in the words, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is an uplifting interaction in worship. The average Christian would probably be inclined to express the impact of worship on his moral life in some such words as, I go to church to recharge my batteries. It is true that this aspect of our religious practice has an ethical influence that is often too lightly dismissed by the smooth satirists of our religious institutions. This recharging of our batteries is not, of course, a direct result of moral exhortation from the pulpit or the communal or the communal singing of improving hymns. Such recharging is the consequence of a total exposure to the gospel in the fellowship of believers. In the fellowship, our small lights join together into an inspiring blaze to encourage faith among one another. Our faith shines into the lives of others. Our others' faith shines into ours. Yet this too, is only part of the story. We are less apt to reflect on the other beat in the rhythm of public worship, the giving of oneself in offering to God. Worship is the commingling of our praise and dedication as we respond to the gospel of Christ. Adoration is the highest form of worship in which our whole being is caught up in the movement of human oblation in heaven and on earth. We are wholly directed toward God in communal and self-forgetful praise. It might seem to be the experience most removed from the practical decision of the everyday, everyday. But when we are in touch with the giver of all life and the center of all being, when we are truly encountering the God who has created and redeemed the human race, then we are in living contact with the source of goodness, beauty, and truth. It is mysteriously true that man tends to become like that which he worships. Therefore, when our adoration is directed to the God whose nature and acts we see unclouded in the person and life of Jesus Christ, then it is his love, his purity, his justice, and his grace that are reflected by us. So St. Paul can state that our worship lives continue in our whole lives as worship. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our lives are not lived in the grasp for the carrot or the fear of the stick. Instead, we worship God as his people and live out our lives letting his light shine forth in a dark and troubled world. Amen.